Welcome to Podcast 14. Today we meet with marathon runner Darren Hamilton to discuss the Hanson Marathon Method. I've heard a lot about this over the last few months. Um, it sounds like a great training plan that I want to put into you, so I'm really listen- interested in listening to his story. Um, we're meeting him in Uri today. He's actually from Belfast, so appreciate him coming down to see us. It does mean that we're going to do the podcast outside. I'm meeting him outside of Costa, but it's a beautiful day. It's like 21 degrees outside, but it does mean there's going to be some background interference noise. Um, I'm happy to live with that. Um, I hope you are too. Um, knowing Darren, he's got some phenomenal times and he's got a great story to tell himself. He's ran six marathons in six countries in six days for charity with two of his friends. Um, he's also on the journey of doing the World Marathon uh, Majors is where I met him in both Chicago and Boston. Great story. He runs, I think his PB around 5K is around 17 minutes 20. Um, he really got back into running after a 10-year stint out. Um, started back in like 2012 and has run PBs up around 255, I believe. So really looking forward to meeting up with him. Um, we're going to have a coffee outside Costa. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, and just thank everybody who's followed so far. For those that don't know um, Darren, um, I met Darren in Chicago and Boston Marathon on our tour of the World Major Marathons. And during both those conversations, um, the Hanson Marathon Method came up. And it sort of intrigued me. More than once. And the reason why it intrigues me is because I'd used a couple of different methods myself. Then the first time I do what everybody else does, and that is just every run is marathon pace run and you, you rest a couple of days before your long run on Sunday then you do up to about 20 miles you're trying to build yourself yeah. like 12, 14 up to 20 miles and then you rest for a couple of days after that come marathon day you get to 20 miles and that's it it's, it's 10k of pure pain because you don't really train past that when you're sort of new into the marathon running but sort of I adapted then I went to I sort of ran marathon pace up to 10 miles in training, done a bit more speed work below that. And my longer runs I ran like for two and a half hours, two hours 45, three, up to three and a half hours just trying to train. And it's very hit and miss. You know, it, my body, I could make it, it was breaking down. You know, kind of suffers after the big three hour yeah, run so a couple of days after? Like two weeks before the marathon, I was running for three and a half hours, you know, and it was like, 23, 24 miles, even though I was running 40 or 50 seconds slower. Mm-hmm. But the concept in my mind was, you know, you run for this length of time in training and you run for this at this pace in training up to 10 miles and two of them come together on race day. It doesn't work. It's a happy meeting. It, it doesn't work. It's a happy meeting. Um, so after talking to you, um, well, whilst talking to you, I actually had a running coach, Gary O'Hanlon, oh. obviously well acclaimed running coach and when you were talking to me about the heart the Hanson marathon method I could resonate with actually the plan that he was giving me where he's trying to get you to run a bit more fatigued mm-hmm. so I'm interested in before and after the Hanson you know what your training was before <coughs> and the style of training yeah. and then when you started to use the Hanson and the differences that sort of in between that it was about, I used to do a bit of running when I was younger, a bit of sprinting, never did anything longer and I sort of retired from running in 2002 and just turned my back on it. What age were you then? I was 27, 
done a lot of running, as I say, as a, as a junior and stuff. Decided I wouldn't mind getting back into it because my daughter was going to start running. And she said, would you come down to the training? I thought, oh, okay, right, I'll come down. <laughs> so she said, would you stay? So I had to bring my trainers with me and I ran around the first night with them in the local sort of track. And I went, hmm, I remember this. This is nice. So I started going back down with her. And then because I was going down, she was going down and we were both getting fitter. But I was 14 and a half stone at this stage. No way. And what, um, what year was that? That was 2011. So I had thought tentatively about a friend saying you should do it on the marathon. And I'm going, there's no way I'm running the marathon. I says, I couldn't run 10 miles in around 26. And it was actually a turning point. I went on the treble one day and ran for 20 minutes. And I couldn't run 10k an hour for 20 minutes. And I thought, not enough. I need something to train for goal-wise. So I said, right, I put myself in for the Mar Dublin Marathon 2012. And I started training about February 2012. And didn't have a clue what sort of training program to do. Friend said, Hal Higdon. Plain and simple. See how it goes. Followed it, trained, did all my sessions, wasn't running particularly fast, had a goal of sub four, and on the day I did 3.45, so I was over the moon, cramped about 100 metres to go, struggled over the line, said I'll never do that again, never, you never see me run another marathon. And that was your first trainer. marathon? That was my first marathon, 2012. And about a week after, just a wee seed was in the back of the head going, do you know, you could probably run that a bit quicker. And then it all of a sudden found myself entering another one, and then another one, and... So how, how many marathons have you ran now since... 21. 21, since 2012. I did a marathon last month there in England, and it was the 21st. Brilliant. So it's not a huge amount, at the same I'm not one of these guys that's aiming for so many marathons trying yeah. to do. I prefer as much respect to them as possible. I prefer quality. So two, 2012 you ran a 345 marathon and your PB marathon now is 255 255 like so and you were 14 stone it was 14 stone so the biggest thing I know myself from the sports background um, what I needed to do and I knew that if the chassis was lighter the engine's gonna make the shot go mm. quicker and I just took my time over about 18 months and just lost bit by bit by bit I didn't go on any major diets I just looked at what I was eating I stopped drinking Beer was a big thing. It took a massive amount of weight off me. Although I wasn't a big drinker to begin with. And now I'm sitting at just under 11 stone. Brilliant. So it, was, it took me a while now, but yeah. it was just slow. And I, every time I ran a race a wee bit lighter, I saw, like my first goal was a break 40 minutes. And when I did that, I went, you know what, I could maybe go closer to 39 and mm. or 10K and stuff. And it was all to do with the weight. So you were real hunger for progression. Yeah. Everything I had, there was always something about what's the next, what's the next stage, yeah. whether it's weight or whether it's time in a race. Or, so how, how do you improve yourself an extra 5% step by step? So that's the sort of mentality you've had. So as soon as you've crossed that finish line and you, you get the reward from everything yeah. you put into that. So what's the next thing I can sort of find? I think I've always, got, I've always got an attitude that I could do something a wee bit better. Now, marathon's unforgiving because you put so much into one race and anything could happen today, look what happened in Boston. Mm. I was in reasonable shape to run well in Boston, but the wind, the, wind, the rain, the, the hurricane <laughs> conditions just threw it all out the window. Armageddon, I think they call it. Yeah, we survived it. So what year did you then were introduced into the Hansen? After the first marathon, a friend in work um, had said to me about, uh, I don't have time to train properly for a marathon. And he says, you know what, I had the same problem. And he showed me a screenshot on the phone that somebody had sent him of a thing called the Hansen's program. I'd never heard of it and I looked at it and went, 
why is there only one rest day every week? Why are you running six days a week? And he said two words have just changed everything for the next four or five years. Cumulative fatigue. Brilliant. I thought, okay, right, so I'm going to be even more tired than I am now. And I went, no, you have to understand that there are easy days and then there's SOS days. And I said, what do you mean when, like, when you phone for help? And he said, no, they're called something of substance. So you have three something of substance days during that six days, but you have three easy days. You never do two of them in a row of the, the really hard days. But you will look forward to a Wednesday that you've never looked forward to, because Wednesday was always the rest day. <laughs> so it was like hallelujah on a Wednesday morning when you knew you didn't have to run. So I took the screenshot, he sent it to me. But it's, but it's important to say cumulative fatigue is totally different than what most people resonate with being overtrained really, yeah. isn't it? The, the, two big, the two big factors in the Hanson's programme that they developed, it started out by a guy called Arthur Lydiard. He was a famous collegiate track coach in the 1950s in America, 1960s, and he brought a lot of Olympic athletes on in the American system. And the Hanson brothers, Kevin and Keith, decided to adapt that. So two of the biggest things are the cumulative fatigue, and that you never run any fat further than 16 miles during your whole week, your whole training program. And that'd be quite a surprise to most people, you know, in the full marathon training program to run the maximum 60 miles. Yeah. And where do you get the extra 10 miles from? Hand to my heart, I during when I've been sticking to Hanson's, I've never ran any more than 16 miles. Yeah. And the difference that it makes on the body, recovering for the next session, is so much greater than it would be if you were doing, sometimes like people run a third of their mileage, weekly mileage in one day. Yeah and it doesn't work well because the next day after you're struggling or you have to take a rest day because your body's having to recover. I think that's one of the main things that I picked up when I, I got the book after your recommendation and read through that and that resonated with me and I'm really into my long runs yeah. and but you know if I'm running 40 miles in a week 50% of my run is just one run one day. and my running is extremely inconsistent and I, I think I'm putting it down to that my body's actually breaking down of doing too many big long runs and not actually having accumulative fatigue throughout yeah. the week. The, the, the Hansons have a principle, they look on they look on consistency, they look on you running where you're not fully recovered from the last session. Now not that doesn't mean physically as in your muscles aren't ready, mm. it means that you're a bit tired. And every run that you do, if it's a 10 mile run on the Hansons programme, or a 12 mile or a 6 mile, it should feel like the last 6 of a marathon, it yeah. should feel like the last 10 of a marathon, not the first 10. So and by changing that over the mindset, you're going, right, okay, I'm sort of getting it, I understand. So that's a key point, really. It's training you for the last 16 miles of the marathon, yeah. rather than conventional sort of training programs. They sort of train you for the first 20 miles of the marathon. <coughs> and it's the complete opposite. And that's why you always hear, you know, oh, the race starts at mile 20. <laughs> it's not really, it's, you've only trained to mile 20. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to hang on for the last, for the last 10Ks. So going from uh, 345 and you were given this book, um, what was your next marathon? Next marathon was 316. So you went from 345, yeah. you went from really non-running yeah. in 2012 to 345, then down to 316. 316, and I can remember that day in particular because I got the 16 miles and it was almost, I was waiting for a lightning bolt to hit me, as if to say, <laughs> right, that's all the far you've ran, something's going to happen. But I ended up running the last 10, just to outside of 700 mile pace and felt fantastic. Crossed the finish line, big effort, couldn't believe the difference, kicked myself because I thought it could have went quicker in the first 16, it's always an improvement, but there was no lightning bolt hit me at 16, yeah. everything worked well and 
the biggest thing was the Thursday to Tuesday sessions that you do. I don't say because your mileage as you bring it on is a hard day on the Thursday, easy day on the Friday, Saturday. You got your long run on the Sunday, and then the Monday is an easier day, and then Tuesday's a harder session. But over that four days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you may be running 45, 50 miles. Yeah. So it's very condensed, and you're never recovered for the next session. But you're not in such a bad state that you can't run. Yeah. And that's what really helped me for the last 10 miles. Because you're, you're going to be fatigued in the last 10 yeah. miles of the race, and it's really preparing you for that, isn't it? Yeah. And I suppose when you have your taper end, then you, you're, that first 10 miles is sort of bringing you to that stage where you normally start your 16 miles. The biggest thing I noticed was the taper was very sudden. It wasn't like a two-week build-up. The week before the marathon, I was still running probably 64, 65 miles. And then the week leading up to it, and um, you were doing a lot of sixes and sevens and you still ran the day before you ran a three mile just to shake out the legs day of the marathon everything was still in order nothing happened nothing nothing changed but there was a massive difference certainly in the outcome and what, what's a typical week like in the in the plan there are different stages in it where the first eight weeks are all strength based so it's about building the base it's about getting yourself used to running further for longer so a lot of the tuesday sessions the, the something of substance sessions are things such as, sorry, the speed at the first eight weeks are things like 12 by 400. It's a 16 week plan. 16 week plan. First eight weeks are speed based, last eight weeks are strength based. So your first eight weeks, some of your big sessions are 12 by fours, 10 by sixes, 8 by eights. Recovery is usually about 400 metres jog. So you're constantly going, a bit of a warm up, a bit of a cool down, so it can accumulate sometimes yeah. in the 10 mile programme. Um, so it's quite easy to follow in the book, isn't it? It's, it's nice it because you plan. can see you can not only a week ahead, but you can see the whole 16 weeks. Yeah. Now, I made the mistake of looking ahead and seeing some of the bigger mileage weeks. Well, there's no way I can cope with that. <laughs> Whereas sometimes it's better just to drip feed you, maybe give you a week at a time so you're not flipping look at week 10s like. You're thinking ahead too much because every session prepares you for the next one, but it doesn't jump forward and all of a sudden allow you to... to and at the beginning of the difference. plan then, like. I'm assuming it doesn't accumulate all the way to 16. It, it sort of goes in and out of 16, does it? And gets the first, you used to that? The first three, four weeks, the longest run you'll probably is about nine or 10 miles. And then there will be a jump between sort of week 48, where I, that was when I really started noticing there's something wrong, this isn't right. I'm very tired, I'm sleeping during the day, I'm having quick naps, I can't keep the pace. Mm. But that's the bit that if you battle through it, all of a sudden then the 10 weeks that are left after that, sorry, yeah. the eight weeks that are left after that, make that wee bit of difference. There's always a bit of a lull and it's where you get you know, you're reluctant to change something, you're you're unsure mm. how it's gonna work out. But the the way the way the sessions are, each one you think no I'll never do that and every one you do it. And there's a bit of a fist bump at the end of each one where you go, yeah I've done that. There seems to be that middle period then where and I sort of noticed this on a, a training plan that one the coach has given me. He's trying to get your body to adjust to it. And that's what it sounds like is happening there is you know you, you've done your your foundation and now you're moving into this fatigue sort of period and you're trying to get your body to adjust it it's funny i was listening to dean Carnazes um mm -hmm. the other week who most people know out there and um he very much talks about that and he was being interviewed and it was about getting your body to get used to the fatigue you need to shock your body to get used to it then your body adjusts and is then able to cope with it a lot more there's no massive mileage jumps yeah. I mean, everything is usually just around 10% extra every mm. week but 
the average mileage that we ran during the, this, the, the 16 week program was around late 50s, early 60s, which isn't a huge amount, even for a competitive yeah. marathon runner, they're sometimes closer to 70, 70 plus. But the consistency was the key. Yeah. Your easy days are easy. Yeah. I mean, you can't be running marathon pace on your easy days. And he, he talked in the, I read some of the book, and he talked about, you know, anybody that's running 10 seconds too quick, yeah. he makes them do press ups in his plan. Because it is so important to stick to that pace. Your long run, they recommend 45 to 90 seconds slower than your marathon pace. Yeah. Some people think, well, that's just junk mileage, but the junk mileage isn't. No. Because again, it's preparing you to run tired. You're running fatigue. The fatigue has built up since the Thursday when you've had your first day back to training. Um, but every session complements the next one. You don't yeah. want to sound like it's clicky and all that, but it really, really does. Mm. And you don't appreciate it until you're in the last sort of eight weeks, the last two months. Four months is a long time to train for a night. Yeah. You're always going to have ups and downs. But each session complements the next one. And you'll always notice an improvement. Because that is the key to success, isn't it? It's maintaining consistency and yeah. just improving a little bit every week. But a little you, bit of luck. Yeah, and you always have to be careful of that. I call it Superman syndrome because you come, you come to a period where you're starting to feel really, really good. You come out of that fatigue sort of period, and it's like, and it's maybe two or three, four weeks just before marathon period, you feel this strength coming, and that's where mistakes are made. Like, it's very rarely if I pick up an injury or a pull or something like that. I don't know why. I, I know exactly why that's happened. I look back and go. Done again, like just and it only takes that one bit of craziness. Like, I think that's why the taper there isn't such a sudden, there's yeah. a more sudden taper in this because when you start tapering two weeks before, you're almost ready to race after three or four days of taking easy. The body's going, This is great, give me a mark, give me something to train for, give me something to run for. Yeah. Whereas the taper on the Hansons is very sudden. And I like what Dean Carnazza said too. He said one he thinks that one of the biggest mistakes that people make, which sort of relates to the Hansen as well is having a couple of rest days before your long run and then having a rest day after it because it's not allowing your body to adjust to it so you're totally preparing and resting and that's not what racing is, is like yeah. and Hansen does that as well doesn't it? Dean kind of has the best piece of advice I can give to somebody is see after you run a marathon don't wait a week to recover go out the very next day and run and it doesn't matter if you have to walk or whatever you need to get your, your body going to get used to it and I think you can sort of relate that to the Hansen method where that cumulative fatigue just and then your body's adjusting and adjusting Definitely. all the time. The body's built for movement, it's not built for sitting around, especially when you pushed it beyond what you normally are doing during a race we all do. And if you leave it for longer, people sometimes used to take a week off after that and they're wondering why it took them so long to get moving and the niggles then. What I found after London last year was um, I took two or three days off simply with work, it was just overloaded with work, didn't get to run, and then when I started back I noticed the niggle, and physio had said, it's because your body has been so tightly wound up for 16 weeks, that whenever you've actually relaxed, it's just went, thank god, that's finished, and all the niggles came out, and I ended up, I had to take about a month, five weeks off. Do you find after going through a period of the six weeks then, that you do need to take a break after the Hansen? Physically no, mentally yes. Yeah. I found certainly over the last couple of training cycles, not because they haven't went as well as they should have, but found that mentally fatigued, where there's been runs where I've been arguing myself every step of the way. Not the weather, weather's been fantastic, but I've been arguing with myself where the body's going, come on big lad, we need to go back here, just turn around, sure nobody will know. And the other wee angel's going, no, 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 you're alright, keep going, sure just keep going, you'll be fine. So mentally tired, yes. Yeah, I think it's important to 
this is just a general statement really for people, whether even they're running or not. When you take on more load throughout your day, you have to offset that balance. And it might be better nutrition, it might be more sleep. It might be, you know, when you come home, you take an hour of sleep before you, you go on with the rest of your day, or you have to extend the length of sleep you have in the evening. And you, you need, people need to become more in touch with their body yeah. when they're going through a training state. 50 miles. When you tow up to the start line of anything at all, you're going to have elites, you're going to have competitive people, and then you're going to have first timers. I have more respect for the competitive guys and the first timers because they're holding down jobs. They're working physical work 40 hours a week. These elites, as fantastic as they are, the human body is able to sit and rest and sleep during the day and not have to worry about working. And it's going out and training and then eating the right sort of foods and wearing the right types of clothing, not having to worry about I've got an eight hour shift to do, I've got to do my work after, when am I going to get my food? training fitting because that's basic we're all runners first thing you think about when we wake up in the morning is when i'm going to do my run yeah. and you're really human doing that but the big difference is the ability to just rest when you're not racing yeah. or rest when you're not training and if we're holding down jobs we can't do that yeah. so the cumulative fatigue is almost suited better for people who are full-time workers people who don't have the opportunity to, to sit around and, and, and let the body relax and if you have that, especially as a master's athlete, I've noticed now in the last two or three years where you really have to listen to your body as you've said. Yeah. When you're tired, there's no harm in taking a day off. It's mm. not a case of cheating. Your body's just going, give me, give me a couple of days here. And you have to listen to it, even if you cross train instead of running. Yeah. It makes a big difference in the long haul, it does. So it is important to point out that the Hanson isn't a shortcut because people are always looking for shortcuts. Yeah, especially nowadays. And um, so it is hard work and it does bring on that week on week focus. And they look at also beginner stuff. It's not always competitive athletes yeah. or even, I mean, there's elite runners that are running 214 off the Hansons. Desiree Linton, who won Boston, is a Hansons runner. Although she left yesterday, apparently, but she's still with Brooks. But they are Hansons athletes who are training via that program, albeit at an elite level. But Hansons do beginner programs, same structure, just different mileage. Yeah. So whether it's your first marathon or just trying to improve yeah. your marathon, um, Hanson has a plan there that has that is actually suited. It is. For you, that's brilliant. Um, something I'll be looking for, looking into. Um, I had for this training block planned on doing it, but due to an injury, at the minute, I'm going to move that out. 2012, you've done quite a lot then, since 2012 yeah. to be fair, to go from 3.45 to 2.54, just making sure I've got those times right yeah, now. Well, 2.55, we'll give it to you. Uh, 2.55, um, but you were awarded as well, um, the Jack, Jack Kyle Trophy, Unity in Sport, yeah. what was that for? New Year's Day 2014, <laughs> I was out for a run. And there had been, <clears throat> I think a couple of months before, there had been two Irish guys who had ran 32 marathons in 32 counties in 32 days. So it's Jerry Duffy? Yes, Jerry Duffy. Inspirational kind of guy. I'd heard about it, I'd read about it, followed it in the news and stuff, and thought, you know what, that's brilliant. I had a relative who had suffered from cancer. I think everybody has had a relative at some stage in their lives who has either suffered or ultimately died from it. And I wanted to do something that people would go, that's really good that you're doing more than just a marathon because everybody has sponsor sheets for 10Ks yeah, yeah, yeah. And, or I'm doing a sponsored fast or something but I wanted to do something that would attract people's notice to say sorry you're doing what? Yeah. So we, during that run I had thought of right, we couldn't do 32 in 32 days because I'd never get time off work, yeah. I'd never get time away from home. What about six? What about six or seven? So I thought well what about traveling in different countries and loosely in the word country. So over that mile eight or nine mile run I had managed to 
to sort everything out in my head, where we were going to run, when we were going to run it, I just needed two volunteers. So I was straight on the phone when I got back and talked to two friends, running friends, a girl from Fermanagh, Tara Malone, and a guy from Belfast that I'd, I'd known from a wee bit of running circles. Um, he was doing a few marathons and things, and straight away they said yes. So we dreamed up the six marathons in six countries in six days, Brilliant. which we then did six months later, during June. 2014. So from thinking of the idea to actually realising it was six months? So six months. And the six countries, obviously local countries. We started in Edinburgh in Scotland, ran the Meadows Marathon route. Um, we then drove down... Were they official marathons or did you just pick the marathons, marathons and routes. then you went and done them? We picked a marathon route. Unfortunately, logistically, we couldn't that, even, that's we couldn't even get ask. anywhere. Yeah. So I had emailed organisers and got route maps of different marathons and we were able to do the official marathon. So Macmillan Cancer Support, who were a big help to us as well in organising fan bases and they organised local school kids to come out and cheer us on and some of them to run part of the brothers every time we were doing a, a, a race in different areas. So we did the Meadows Marathon in Edinburgh, which was 15 laps of a park, which is an actual marathon, just in all yep. Edinburgh University. We then drove down to Brighton, did the Brighton Marathon route. So what time, when did you drive down, in the morning or the evening? We did the race every morning at 9am. Okay. And as soon as we finished, chocolate milk was on board. We were into the sea or into a cold bath somewhere, and then we just sat in the transit. We had a driver. He drove us down. So most of us slept. Most of us wore our recovery tights. Very important. Because yeah, even sitting in the car, yeah. your, your legs are going to get tight, not being able to move them about. And Anybody like driving past us would have thought, "What's going on?" Because you would have had three sets of legs <laughs> up on the up in the windows, in the air, with us lying down in the seats. So what we did whenever we weren't training was just as important whenever we were running. Yeah. Um, drove down to Brighton, did the Brighton Marathon. We then drove to Conway in North Wales, the Wales being the third country, and ran the half marathon route twice. Just up and down Conway Mountain, <laughs> and you were up way above the bay. Beautiful, beautiful scenic half marathon. We then flew over to Isle of Man, and we did the Isle of Man marathon route. So how, how did that work logistically? Like you just had the we happened flight from Liverpool to Douglas. So you just knew, you knew you, you were actually picking them whales because you were going to jump, you knew there was a flight there and you had yep. to sort of logistically plan that. We knew so. that if we dipped in from Brighton to Wales it wasn't going to be too long a drive and then we could drive back to Liverpool to get an evening flight if we started at 9am in, in Wales. And again, it's, it's, it was like a, it was an adventure and thankfully everything So how well. quickly did you run that marathon in Wales? We did them all in between 3.45 and 4 hours. Wow. So we didn't break out over the four hours because that was the aim, although it was an unwritten aim because there was always doubts. Unknowns. After the six finished, we had a bit of a chat to ourselves over a few beers and coffee or so or two, but we asked, when did you think this isn't happening? And I was honest, after the first marathon, I, me personally, I was going, I couldn't run another marathon tomorrow. This is, this is nuts. But then everybody else had their doubts at the third stage of the marathon. One of the person, one of the guys was having a wee niggle in his knee. The other person was having a bit of a problem with their hip. So you had to tread carefully because not only was it just yourself, but you had two people then that logistically might have to stop. Or and did you run together? We all ran together. But we had school kids joining us for different stages. We had local running clubs who came out and joined us. We had people that ran up and down Conway, showed us the route for the Conway half marathon route. We got lost during it, which was great fun. There were sheep looking at us, wondering if we'd seen humans in, in, in a few weeks up around there. But uh, 
the best one was coming back to Belfast. After the LMA, we did uh, a marathon around Phoenix Park. Hi. And it just happened to be a flight that evening. We got a flight, once we did the marathon in LMA, we, we got a flight that evening, flew over to Dublin, stayed in uh, a house on the outskirts of Dublin, got up the next morning. So we had two flights, so it's quite, quite close, uh, quite close time scale. Flew into Dublin the next morning, 9am, we were running a marathon around Phoenix Park. Brilliant. About 20 people joined us. Um, and it was beautiful. You know Phoenix Park. Yeah, right? I it's love gorgeous. Phoenix Park. It's absolutely gorgeous. And the, the, the routes that we had planned uh, from the local guides were excellent. We got our photograph taken on the grounds of the Aris, yeah. which was amazing. And the two dogs, his two St. Bernard dogs, came out and joined us for the photo shoot. Brilliant. Um, although Michael Higgins wasn't in, unfortunately. But uh, we, we finished that. And then we drove up north, met our families for the first time in, in six days. And then the next morning we started our final race in Mary Peters track. Um, big fanfare, we had family with us. We had, on the day itself, we had different stages where people could run with us. You could run a half marathon with us, you could run the final 10K, or you could run the final 5K. And the 157th mile, which was the total mileage we'd done that week, was running up Donegal Place, coming up towards the City Hall. And there maybe was, 100 people waiting for us at City Hall with a sea of green Macmillan flags. Wow. There was a checkered flag waiting for us, and we had about 50 or 60 of our closest friends running with us. And we had the whole place closed off, and it was running up towards us. You can actually feel the hairs sort of it was lifting on the back of my neck there. There's a, there's a photograph of the three of us with our hands in the air mm. raised, running the last 20 metres, and not one of us probably have a dry eye. I just got to say, it must have been very overwhelming it know, was, to go through that. Like, and it's what we didn't notice, we were all running with the group and we were chit-chatting and talking to people, but as we came into Donegal Place, everybody took a step back and let us go to the front. Yeah. And then that's when it started, the hair, look at the hair starting to lift yeah. already. No, I was saying the same about myself. Like, the emotion was brilliant. The emotion was brilliant. Now, how did you feel? the night of after running in Phoenix Park because you know tomorrow is your last one so it's in your mind yeah we're definitely going to do this yeah we've definitely got it and I think the biggest thing was I knew the pressure was off because we'd only one more to do and we knew because we'd run five of them and because we'd have people with us with a family and friends yeah. we wouldn't want to let them down and no I think some what. of us we ended up running more than a marathon because we were back and forth up and down amongst <laughs> the 50 or 60 people chitting chatting and our last marathon was just under 350. That was brilliant. Um, but it was it couldn't have been done without families, without friends, without Fly B, without Stena for the boat, without the use of the transit, without our driver, Ricky, who looked after us logistically, he looked after our washing every day, he got us chocolate milk at the finish. Everything just clicked. And it was the six days that I don't think we could ever replicate. It was just a perfect storm. Yeah, um, brilliant. And ultimately we raised nearly 12,000 pounds from the Northern Cancer Support in that week. So it's made a difference. It's, ama it's amazing when you have an idea and you see it, you feel it yeah. come intuition like that there. And running in many circles sort of brings that, doesn't it? There's so much money raised through charity. There's so yeah. many, it brings so many communities together and so many people together. I made notes. I had a wee book written and I, I, I wanted to do like an online book about it. Yeah. And I have these wee notes and there was people stopping us in petrol stations in England going, are used to six marathon guys because we were wearing our t-shirts we were going we we're following you on facebook we had our facebook page and they were just going listen to the donation you're fantastic i have a, I have a relative who unfortunately is suffering from cancer and everything you're doing is brilliant and you don't underestimate the work that the mcmillan cancer support nurses are doing on a daily basis but that wee thing there 
made it all the worthwhile. It's, it's total strangers. It's amazing the positive energy you get from that, isn't it? I remember the time I done sort of a swim across Carlingford and uh -huh. cycled to Dublin and then ran the Dublin Marathon and for charity as well. And during the course, I was just do my own race. So nobody next next to me what I was doing. Every now and then somebody would put me and put You're doing brilliant, I know what you're doing. You don't even know the person. It's just like a, an injection of energy every single time. You feel very humbled when you're doing something like that. Well, when you come back and we, when we found out the support that we'd had, especially locally and the amount that was raised, um, strangers giving us donations, there was people helping us out with physio free of charge, they just didn't want anything from us. Um, it was nice because they were all community based. Yeah. It wasn't you know, people who were you know, looking for corporate links, they weren't looking for connections, they were just doing it out of the goodness right. of their heart. And from that then we got nominated for the Jack Kyle trophy which was an amazing honour considering who Jack Kyle was and the importance that he made the Northern Ireland sport and the three of us were, were pretty happy over it I have to say. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> As you say that's a journey that'll be very hard to uh, replicate. Yeah. Um, you're on a different path now, the world, the world Major Marathons yeah. and what have you done so far? And it's all down to Paul Floyd and Tara <laughs> I have to say the same two people that I ran with because they had Oh, so Paul, Paul was one of the guys. Yes, that ran Paul was game. one of the guys that did it, um, and they had this idea that you know there's, there's only so many people have done this six majors. It's it's a really cool thing to do. You get to run in different countries, and I was going, no, couldn't be interested. <laughs> Again, same same attitude when I was told I would run the Dublin Marathon. No, no, no. <coughs> so so far I did uh, London 2017. Uh, I then did Chicago, where I met you with your credit card. Yes, in 2017. Story. Uh, I did Boston there in April this year and I'm down to do Berlin now which will be my fourth in September yep. um, so I'm running Berlin for prostate cancer trying to raise some money for it um, because I think it's important as well sometimes mm. that you, you take it out of the side of it there are people who are suffering and if you can do a wee bit yeah. I know it sounds a bit cliched and stuff so what, what are the other two for those who don't know that you, that you need to run? I need to run Tokyo then and New York New York and out of the three that you've already run, um, what did each of those sort of bring you? So. London was a lot of pressure. London was my first, and it was the one that I knew I was in really, really good shape. Yeah. Um, day before a race, especially a marathon, I'm not a nice person to be around. And I shut myself in the hotel room, and I ate my homemade banana bread that my daughter bought <laughs> me for rocket fuel, and I drank my water, and I sat and watched TV. Um, and thankfully, everything paid off. I ended up running the PB in London. And that was? 255, 46. Okay. So the pressure was off. Uh, London was brilliant. Chicago was, I have to say, the most enjoyable. Yeah, it was brilliant. I thought Chicago, the weather was fantastic. I was within touching distance of Gail and Rupp, of the leaders that were there, because of the way the corals were. Mm -hmm. I was in the DA coral. And because it's a big wide open freeway, as you know, that you start in, I was literally two rows behind them. Brilliant. And a wee thing in the back of my head went, fancy leading this. <laughs> yeah, just first yeah. hundred yards. But I did the same thing, I was in good shape, had planned to run as close to my PB as I could. Unfortunately when I got to 16 miles, lightning yeah. bolt hit me and I got injured. So it was, it was very warm like wasn't it as well? It was, I had a problem in my hip. Mm. Um, I'd been carrying a wee bit of a niggle, but obviously it accentuated with the extra effort of pushing out for, for the race itself. So I had a 16 mile race and a 10 mile walk through the beautiful downtown Chicago to finish. Um, and it was enjoyable, but it was disappointing. Boston was just 
<laughs> Beautiful the day before, yeah. walking around Boston, and people are saying that it's going to be really bad tomorrow, and you were sitting in 22, 23 degrees. I was walking around the Commons, looking around, sightseeing, doing the, the old England tour of Boston, loving it. And then walking up to the start line after getting the bus out of About minus one, uh, torrential rain, the snow at the start line, the sleet. I was wearing. I was thinking of actually running. A friend had given me one of those, you know the rave suits that you see the people yeah. going to the raves in and I thought that'd be perfect. It'll keep the water off me. And it did to a certain extent. But it was just it was it was so soaking through and it was getting to you. Um On reflection I'm actually glad I was part of that race. Yeah. There's a bit of a connection then. Um yesterday Twin Peaks one of the guys ran past me and he was like, Remember Boston? Yeah. He says, We're never gonna forget that. It'll be like the There'll be 100,000 people say they ran Boston yeah. in 2018, whereas you know only 30 odd thousand did it. How, how do you tag a tagger race then? If you're like you've got <coughs> a negative split, or what way do you do that? Traditionally, it's even paced. Even paced, though. Um, London, which was my no best matter, No matter what the elevation is, right? No matter what, it, I was headed at even pace. I've, I've always come from a very good base of health. I loved health. Even when I was sprinting, I was able to live with guys who I would never get anywhere near on a flat surface. But when it came to hills, I just had that attitude that I was always able to attack them. So London was good because everything was going great, but I lost a wee bit for to go a wee bit quicker over the last 2k. Can't complain about that. Ran great for 40k, didn't work out the last two. And if you start to lose time, do you try and pull it back or do you maintain your even split? No, um, if, I find, if I'm starting to lose, there's something going on, whether it's fuel or whether it's dehydration or whether it's a case of doesn't suit the likes of Boston it's very difficult to do a negative split yeah. because the second half's an awful lot hillier compared to the first half um, but certainly with London London was a negative split um, only just um, but if you find like if you get to mile four marker and your watch is, is showing like 4.2 I've um, learned the hard way so what, what do you do then do you try and creep it back or do you because you're on there, the fine line already there was a, I did Waterford one year and I had it in my head that if I was able to take five seconds quicker than marathon pace when I was due, then I would have this massive cushion. And that massive cushion, I, by the time I got to about halfway stage, I had about a minute and a half cushion, and I thought, this is brilliant. I'm gonna beat the PB by a minute and a half. I had one bad mile, about the 21 mile mark, and that minute and a half was gone. Yeah. So when you think that you're building up and you're, you're taking that wee bit extra, especially as a beginner, don't. Because one bad mile and you lose everything. Yeah, I think that's very important. It took me 10 marathons to learn what putting time in the bank actually meant. And even I kept on edging it down to like a minute and a half. And I was always chasing a 3.30. Mm -hmm. And um, the first time I broke it was a very, it was my slowest half marathon I'd ever run in my life in a marathon. It was the first time my PB then, so it was like. And a lot of people fall into that mistake of actually stealing time, don't they? I think or banking time. The, the day that you say you're not learning something new about running, you know, it's time for stop. It's time to stop. And what about fueling on the race then? How do you fuel? Traditionally, I in the early days I used to carry water. I used to carry liquids at sport because it was something that I knew would be available during Dublin. Dublin obviously being sponsored, but there was plenty of it there. When I started getting quicker, I started going, well, I don't need to carry that extra weight because a litre of water is a kilo. Mm. You think about that running extra in your legs and all its extra stress for your body. I carry usually five gels. Four, I will usually take fits in emergency. Um, any water stops, I'll drink early and often, usually every three miles if I can, and it's literally a mouthful. Um, I find that the gels I'll take usually five and a half, six miles in, usually around the 40 minute mark. Each, so every 40 minutes, I'd be taking one of the SAS gels, or I've changed recently to the the um, 
isogels for high five. Like caffeine ones? No, I tried, I take caffeine during a half. Caffeine sometimes affects me bowel-wise. Yeah. <laughs> it's over 18, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, but it affects me a bit more during a marathon, yeah. so I'll stick with just the, the isogels. I, I find the isogels are a lot easier on the stomach, aren't they? Yeah. And do you prepare your stomach in any way or form? I actually take um, a bit of dry toast in the morning or something just to make sure my stomach's able to take it. I eat bagels, jam and banana usually yeah. in the morning of a race. I, I always so have, bread in there. I have a banana bread that my daughter makes for me. I'm sure the sugar content of it is through the roof. Yeah, but it sounds like we're going to want to know what that recipe is <laughs> at some stage. Wait till she starts her business with her bakery, but um, certainly I would never take anything that I haven't tried in training. When we were training for the six marathons, one thing I, whether correctly or not, was I was managing to run without taking as much water as I should do. Because there was times when I didn't want to carry the water and I knew that we would be in areas that we wouldn't be able to get water. So I almost conditioned myself to run at a slower pace without needing water. Now that's wrong, it's big time wrong. Because when dehydration hits, it really hits. Um, I came out of it okay most of the time. Although now the faster that I've been running, I'm fine that I'm having to stash bottles of water out on my route the night before if I can so I know that there's a bottle there so we'll stop and grab it and certainly in weather like this you, you definitely can't take too much on no. and it's not just marathons that you have really sharpened your pace and what's your PB profile so uh, 5k 10k half. yeah of uh, 5k 17 20 um, 10k is 35 40 um, half marathon is 80 20 now, how, how, do you, how have you connected that then? So 17 minutes, 5k, that's a phenomenal pace. Well, it's a phenomenal PB profile, yeah. to be honest. And you've done a lot of, 21 marathons is quite a lot really in that yeah. period to the quality you've been doing it. And it's hard to hold a 5k or get a 5k pace anywhere near that when you're training for the likes of 3 hour marathons. Well, are you stripping it right back or is it all coming together at the same time? I think I'm probably gifted with whatever genes that I have. I used to be a sprinter. Now, I have the sprint gene that isn't an out-and-out 100 meter runner, but 400s were my sort of forte. And I've a, I always have a good flat speed. And I think that's carried on into the likes that I'll always have a, a flat speed that may be greater than you know, somebody yeah. who's training constantly for marathons, but I'll always have that turn of speed. You know the boys when you see playing football, the guy that can always go off at a pace yeah. if he needs to. I just happen to have that type of gene built in to be thanks to my parents. Yeah. but. I think it touches on that in the Hansen book a bit as well, about your fast twitch yeah. sort of muscles. Yeah, your type 2 A's and your type 2's. Some people have a genetically formed that way, yeah. like that they always have a really good base and fast twitch muscles. Like. Now, um, Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. Though. Well, that's the thing. I, I, the way I look at it is, I, my 5K profile and the 10K profile should mean that I should be running sub 250 for the marathon. Yeah. So what am I doing wrong? Am I not running far enough? Am I not running fast enough? Am I not actually forcing my body out harder during a marathon and trusting it? Mm. There's always a wee bit of apprehension. Um, maybe I'm not being brave enough yet. Maybe maybe I still have to relieve my potential for it, but I know that from what I'm doing at the minute, I'm getting a wee bit older, but I'm still enjoying it. Yeah. And what's your favorite distance? I love half marathons, I have to say. Um, I love it when they go well. I think everybody likes when a race goes well, but I love the idea of a half marathon. I think it's something that you can actually attack. 10Ks are relentless. Half yeah. marathons are relentless-ish, if there's such a word, where you're going quick, but you're holding your own, you're within your threshold, and you know that you know, if you go a wee bit faster, you're gonna lose. If you go a wee bit slower, you're not gonna get what you're looking for. Yeah. So I think it's a happy medium. And you've got like 5K of pain rather than 10K of pain, really, sort of. Yeah. You can hold it to 10 miles. That, that was, you touched on 10K there. 
how do you attack that? Because that's something I struggle with because I'm not a 10k runner. Again, so I, I'm a bit I of a lazy runner. Yeah. And a lot of it's down to even pace. My 10k was Lauren. Sorry, not Lauren. Um, Jimmy's last year. And it was a hilly course. The walk was up must come down. And when there was hills, you were struggling going up them, but you were also pushing them coming down. But when I look back on my profile, uh, my average pace every mile was spot on. So I'm a great believer in... 35 minutes and it's 35.40 so I think it worked out about 5.46 you must have done well as a Masters yeah, then at that age. I was about 5th in the Masters that's phenomenal again you've a lot of good runners yeah. you've Keith Shields you've Neil Weir you've a lot of guys that are right up there that are actually you know pushing in times at some of the young fellas which is another topic mm. there's not a lot of guys coming through and it's us oldies that are actually leading the way you think yeah. about some of the big performances it's quite surprising when you see that you know around 40 Stephen likes to Gary Hamlin now and yeah. some of the times that he's pushing out now in his marathon yeah. and you see the likes of the CD 10k I don't know whether it's a learning that people have gone through over the last five I think it's a generation years. that just doesn't want to work hard I'm not mm. saying that to everybody but it's just the environment that they're being brought up into yeah. it's everything different shortcuts. yeah everything's a shortcut or you've got an opportunity maybe not to do as much you know you see these get fit do a marathon in six weeks in these men health programs where you see Lose lose pounds in one yeah. month, and everything's get get fit quicker, lose weight quick. It's not it's not about that. If I had a bag full of shortcuts, I would have a huge number of followers on these podcasts. Unfortunately, there's no there's nothing in the bag. Free shortcuts, shortcuts for every 100 podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Where do you see yourself then in five years from now? Do you, you still see you sharpening the saw and trying to get those better marathons, or is there anything? Talk about those seeds that are in the back of your head. I see myself in a new age group. <laughs> which I look forward to because every couple of years you go into another age group so yeah. all the PBs reset Brilliant. when you get over 40 forget about your PBs before 40 mm. it just so happens I didn't try hard enough when I was younger to run these PBs but I'm running quicker than I have done but when I get into the 45 age group it's a brand new age group so it's a new, it's a new age mindset um, hopefully by the time I'm, I'm 5 years from now I'll have done all the majors I want to do Athens yeah. because it's the home of Marathon and it's just one that you turn around and go well, I did the six. That was a real experience. Got to see six corners of the universe that I've never seen before. But I went to the home of where a marathon was. Yeah. Talking uh, to a fella a couple of weeks ago on one of the podcasts, John Morley, and I asked him if he had done 100 marathons for the RAF, what was his favourite marathon? And he mentioned Athens. Yeah. He said the finish is just phenomenal. Carnese's put me into it. I yeah. was reading his book. He's obviously half Greek. Yeah. So him going back to his homeland, as he called it, and running. I think he ran in the sandals that uh, Hermes used to wear, the old messenger of the gods. And when you would have seen the pictures and all of it, it's just barren landscape, but the roads mean so much. That's the problem with these podcasts, keeping planting seeds into my head. Yeah. I think that's one that, um, If I'm healthy and I'm happy, then I know I'll be running. Yeah. So touch wood, like everything else. I mean, we've all had injury setbacks, but it's not what you do when you're running, it's what you do when you're not running yeah. and when you're injured and how you take your time and coming back that sets you up for another year after, another year after. Five years if I'm running and I'm happy, I'll be Brilliant. Happy. And you came back running 2012 just to finish off then. So you know what it was like for 2012 in that period and what it's like now. How do you think running has sort of shaped your life now? It's totally changed it really, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, What's it brought um, to you? I think I like the influence that it's done on my kids. And mm. um, my kids enjoy sport. Not just running, but they do a variety of different sports, which is great because they have to try everything they have to try. And I know I used to, when I was younger, I used to watch my dad playing football, I used to watch my mum, and you know, trying a wee bit of extra different types of sport, badminton and stuff. But I knew that if I did something that they did, 
then there was always a wee bit of kudos because I, I matched what my dad did yeah. and hopefully you do something like that. Um, Brilliant. I think there's there's always something to learn from it and if you can give something back it makes a wee bit of difference giving time to your club, volunteering for a race, yeah. poking somebody during a swim and going you're doing really well even yeah. though they don't know you. Simple Brilliant. things that make a difference. I think it's very important with the kids because they do really they're mini me's like they're yeah. gonna follow what their parents the do. And we didn't really have that sort of influence. Not many of us had that influence when we were younger. And I sort of resonate with that as well. Like support networks good. I can remember going to races in England and across the continent when I was younger and going away with a team. And after my race, my dad would have been sitting up in the stand, just all of a sudden come out of nowhere and you'd be going, What are you doing here? Brilliant. The wee bit of support network, even though you didn't know it, you'd be amazed that it first makes for them. Well, Darren, that's been absolute excellent um, <laughs> podcast. I enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, we are actually sitting outside of the Costa in Uri in the blistering sun. Um, so I apologise for any sort of background noise there is. Like, but I'm sure um, any everybody who's listening will agree that's a, a great story to be had. Like, so Enjoy wish you walking. wish you all the best in Berlin. Cheers, Paul. Um, hopefully, we we'll get to run with you again soon. Yeah, definitely. It's not too soon because I've ran already today. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Darren. Good luck, Brilliant. buddy.